So um, tonight, first I'll tell you a little bit about my life before I get into the formal talk, because it's been a, you know, kind of a full life the last few days. Uh, I was at a wedding, I was officiating a wedding yesterday, yeah, yesterday. And, and that was very, uh, you know, I, and, I have, and I've officiated a number of weddings, but not for quite a while. And so it was interesting to prepare, which I spent some of the day preparing for what I wanted to say and organizing, and I put my stuff together. And really the hardest part, to be totally honest, was to try to put on a suit and a tie. <laughs> which I haven't put on a tie in a long time. And, but you know, I want to look official in the role and you know, respectful and so, and so, um, and I have these really nice shirts I used to wear when I wore suits and ties many years ago, but wow, they're, they're, I, they're tight around the neck, so it wasn't so comfortable, and, and then I put the tie on, I was like, no, I'm not going to go to the wedding and be choked for the whole wedding. So, and then I put on a more comfortable shirt, and then I had to put a much skinnier tie on because it wasn't really a shirt made for a tie, etc. So this was, you're hearing some of my dukkha. And for those of you who are new to Buddhism, this is an important word, dukkha. Dukkha is a word that is generally translated as suffering, or dis-ease, or unsatisfactoriness. That's a good translation also for dukkha. And dukkha is part of, human life and so and the Buddha when he was asked he said I teach one thing and one thing only dukkha and the end of dukkha suffering and the end of suffering and so I'm giving you my suffering part so I and actually the wedding was great quite beautiful and moving but but I got there and, you know, it's a little rushed at first and, and it was a new place and a new scene and I'm trying to get my stuff put where it needs to be so I can, you know, officiate and, and I put something down and then I'm looking around later, you know, 10 minutes later and I, I don't see my, I don't see my, my notes and my talk and it's like, oh shit. Did I leave them in? Did I leave them in the car? And I run out to the car to check the car. They're not in the car. Then I call my wife, and she said, "No, I don't. I see it here, but this is the old version." And then I come back and finally I look around. Oh, and I put it down in the wrong place, and I, I find it. And then, okay, good, good. It's, you know, I'm saved from suffering, right? Very quickly, and then, um, and then, uh, this was also. Uh, kind of think it was the same day, a day earlier. Oh yeah, a day earlier I was going to Spirit Rock because there was a, a meeting, an important meeting that I was asked to be at and so I wanted to go and I went, but I got a call from Paul Irving. Paul Irving's been part of this group for many, many years and he was going to sit for um, 10 days doing the concentration retreat, the Samadhi retreat. And he said, hey, I'm going to ride my bike up. Could you take my suitcase up and, and drop it off? And, you know, and I'm like, sure, you know. And we had all this mixing, mixing, meaning we couldn't find the right time. He wanted to come, you know, Thursday night and drop it. And I didn't even get that message. And then so finally Friday morning, I said, can you come now? And he said, no. And then he... And then he emails me later and says, okay, I'm coming, I'm dropping it, stay, wait for me. And I, he comes and I put the suitcase in my car. He said, oh, give it to Beth. And, and Beth is the president of the board at, at uh, San Francisco Insight, who also works at Spirit Rock. So I said, sure, you know, okay, Beth will come get it. And, and I go to Spirit Rock and it's this meeting that's a big deal meeting and about a Spirit Rock's own <coughs> Uh, dukkha and the insight meditations communities dukkha about racism and it's an important meeting to be at and so I wanted to be there and um, and so it was I was there it was a long meeting it was actually a really good meeting good things happened about what we were trying to do so I was I was really happy about that and then I went, went home and then you know I think it was um, this morning I got a phone call saying, hey, 
Where, where'd you put my suitcase? And I'm like, oh shit, the suitcase is in my trunk still. I didn't, you know, I thought Beth was gonna come get it from me, but I didn't even think about it once I got spirit route. So I have his suitcase now in my trunk if anybody wants it. Um, you know, but he's at Spirit Rock in his bike gear, you know, <laughs> meditating right now. And, uh, and then, and, and all this is really a lead up to say, and I get here and I'm looking at my talk, and, you know, which I worked on today and was, you know, happy enough with, you know. And, uh, and I outlined and I had a nice beginning and everything, but then I open up the talk and I don't have the first page of the talk. I mean, I've got some other pages and they're really good, but I don't have the first page. So I'm like, oh shit, what the hell happened to the first page? And then I remembered I was trying to add something in and I was going to print, reprint it. And then I took it over and I didn't and it never got put back with the rest of the talk and the other material. Um, so I'm going to improvise now the first page of the talk, which we'll see how that goes. I like to improvise. And actually, and then I realized, so I also printed out three pages that I'm going to give you, because it's give you meaning I want you to pass around, because it's a little bit what I'm going to be talking about. And it's about uh, uh, the, the path and what, how the Buddhist path is understood and the import of the Buddhist path. Because there's a lot, I like to teach a lot about awareness these days and I like to, you know, teach a lot about experiential reality and how much the Dharma comes through our direct experience. And, and, um, and mindfulness, if you may have noticed, is a big deal in America these days. So there's a lot of teaching around mindfulness, a lot of people teaching mindfulness, but they're not teaching the whole Dharma. They're teaching mindfulness, and it's a really good thing. But the path is bigger. Mindfulness is only one part of the path. And so I thought I would talk a little about the import of the path and what the path is and why it's important for us to broaden ourselves so we start to know what it is to live a life of awakening and that potential. So if, if you just pass these out, meaning just take a look at it and pass it around, do one, 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 the other, they're both the same basic stuff, but you can look at both of them. But then then hand one over there and hand one behind you. Thank you. Um, so, and part of what you'll see is something that uh, outlines the Buddhist path. And it's the noble, it's called the Noble Eightfold Path that the Buddha taught. And it's um, right understanding, right resolve or intention or aspiration is the second one, right, in, right understanding or right view is the first leg of the path, right intention, resolve or aspiration, second limb of the path, and then there's right um, speech, right action, right livelihood are the next three parts of the path, and then right effort, right mindfulness, right samadhi, right concentration are the last three parts of the path. And they're different components of our experience that make up a whole path, that bring the freedom that we seek, or bring the awakening that we're interested in. And a lot of emphasis is about um, mindfulness these days or awareness practice and that's all good and it one definitely one usually doesn't find the freedom that the Buddha found by just doing one thing that it's a broader world for us to investigate and when I say broader world it's what's sitting in our seat right this is the broader world 
you're the consciousness and the individuality and the uniqueness of each being here, of ourselves, and the discovering what does it mean to live that reality so it wakes up. And, and the way I think about awakening, it's a, it's a lovely word, enlightenment is the word that's often used. I don't like that word very much. I like awakening better. Uh, but really what I like is maturity. That there's something the Buddha discovered about the potential for the maturity of us as human beings. That everybody here is a mature person, right? In the conventional sense of the word, except for Lloyd, he's shaking his head. Um, <laughs> um, um, but, but what I mean by that is, when, you know, you're a mature person, you know, you have, you know, work and relationships, you pay the bills, you, you, do, you do the usual stuff. But the Buddha pointed at another level of ma maturity that's possible for ourselves, for our consciousness, freedom that is not just based on the conventional maturity, but it's a whole nother level of maturity that is really accessible for human beings that he discovered and he realized was available to everybody, regardless of their class or race or gender or sexuality or any of the particulars of who and what we are. <clears throat> and so the, the, the path is divided into three different sections which is called uh, sila, samadhi, and panya in the Pali language. Sila, samadhi, panya. Some of those, some of what I handed out may even say that on there. And sila is generally translated as ethics. Or um, uh, the word that I like, it's ethics or morality, but the word that I like best is virtue because we come into harmony with ourselves and with reality and then we live a life based on that harmony with reality, with really seeing clearly the way things are. And so, and that's why the mindfulness, both internal and external, is so important. Because it's not just about seeing what's here, it's about seeing all of what's here. And all of what's here includes the internal and the external reality that we all live in. And so sila is, um, is um, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Those are the parts of the path that begin to address that. Um, sila samadhi is, is contemplation and that's one of the things that the Buddha found so helpful for beginning to start to learn about who and what we are and the potential of our possibilities as human beings. And so the effort, the, the mindfulness, the concentration, that's all of ways those are all some of the muscles that are needed to contemplate very fully, to begin to see reality very intimately, really is the way it happens, is we get closer and closer with the human reality until it starts to reveal itself, it starts to show itself. And then Panya is both understanding and resolve or understanding and aspiration, intention. Um, that's some of the understanding that comes and some of the wisdom that comes through practice and living a life in harmony with ourselves and others. And so that's a little bit of me making up the beginning of the talk. Let's see what else I have. And so the Buddha, he said it this way, he, says, he said, by your own efforts, by your own efforts, waken yourself or awaken yourself. By your own efforts, waken yourself. Be aware of yourself and live joyfully. Follow the truth of the way. Reflect upon it. Make it your own. Live it. It will always sustain you. And so he offered his teaching and then he said, Pay attention. Here, I'm going to say it in Eugene language. Buddha didn't say this, but he might now. Get real with yourself. Like, what's here? 
what's true from, from the most obvious truth to the deeper truths. And we're not trying to get rid of the obvious truth or the conventional truth. It's a doorway to the deepest truth, right? And he says, enjoy yourself, live joyfully, follow the truth of the way. And um, we could, of course, we could, we could paradox it, we can twist it, follow the way of the truth, because the truth will reveal more truth, more understanding. If we start to recognize, oh, what's actually here? And of course, I've said this many times, but I, I'll say it again. You can't be mindful if you're not mindful of what's actually happening. You know, I mean, I, I, I'm happy if you can be mindful of feeling great when you feel shitty, but it's not usually so easy to pretend, oh yeah, I feel great, and then you're always, oh, I hate those people, and I'm mad about this. No, no, I feel great, I'm happy. You know, but, but if you start to feel the anger or the um, fury or the intensity or the aliveness of what we call anger, that can lead to a whole other dimension of freedom that we might not be aware is possible. We might discover more about who and what we are. We might see that we, might, we don't have to be limited to believing the usual understanding of anger if we stay with the experiential reality. And then he says, he says, right, follow the truth of the way, reflect upon it, make it your own, live it. It will always sustain you. And that's a beautiful understanding of why the Dharma has continued for 2,500 years, 2,600 years, and not only continues, but continues to change and evolve, which I think is a really, really an important part. It's not a static Dharma. This, you will get different dharma at different times, at different places, because it's responding to the nuances of reality as they change. And so the principles may be the same, but then the skillfulness, it has to respond to the way reality is. It's not a static teaching, the Buddha's teaching. And of course, I'd love to throw this in. You, you all know what it means when things aren't static. Right? They're ecstatic. Right? And that's quite joyful. Right? When you really, when you start to land in the, in the not stasis of reality, it's, it's amazing. And it's, and it's already all right here. It's already here. That's, here. that's the best thing I've said uh, so far tonight. It's already here, because it is already here. And it's already who, who, what we are, right? Because nobody here is static. Nothing is static. The body is not static. The heart's not static. The mind is not static, right? But it can be difficult to practice and stay present with reality because we have a, a lot of ideas about how it's supposed to be or how we should be or how the other people should be. Anybody ever notice how that? You have some ideas about how other people should be? That's just amazing that they're not like I think they should be, you know? <clears throat> and so it can be really difficult to give oneself to practice, to really, and there are different words that are used as part of that second noble truth, the aspiration, the intention, it, the resolve. And oh, I, I meant to say this, the, um, the word for the different parts, there's, you know, there's um, right understanding, right resolve, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right, right mindfulness, right samadhi or concentration. Um, and the word right is an important part of all of this. And of course, I like to say something because I'm an old school Buddhist. I've been around Buddhism a long time and that's how I grew up with that word. Now they substitute other words like wise understanding or wise mindfulness or wise 
livelihood or, or things like that. I don't. I like right just because I grew up with it. But also, if you look up the word right, it means it brings one in alignment with the truth. That's one of the understandings of the word right, and that's it's not right or wrong. Oh, it's coming into alignment with the way things are. And that is a, a skillful understanding of what the Dharma hopes can happen for all of us, that we come into alignment with the reality that's already here, that is part of who and what we are. <clears throat> but it definitely can be difficult. And um, like I said, right, it's dukkha, and then the cause of dukkha, and then the end of dukkha, and they're all connected. And Marcel Proust, he said it really nicely. He said, we don't receive wisdom. We don't receive wisdom. We must discover it for ourselves. We don't receive, it's not just given to us. We must discover it for ourselves after a journey that no one can take for us or spare us from. We don't receive wisdom. We must discover it for ourselves after a journey that no one can take for us or spare us, right? And that's the piece that's really, that's what it means to really start walking a path. It means we start to enter a path and the path is not perfect. The path doesn't just go like this. Oh, and you're free. It's not just a downhill ride. And, you know, I've had my problems in downhill rides <laughs> on the bike, so I learned that very personally. But, but I mean it sincerely. It's, oh, it, it is the dukkha that leads to the end of dukkha. The dukkha is not a problem. It's part of human reality. And it's something for us to begin to digest or metabolize, and then we start to realize who and what we might be. <clears throat> and so it's good to have some idea of the bigger sense of path, not just one thing like mindfulness or, or write something, but really, these different components of our heart and mind and body that can start to mature or, or wake up. <clears throat> and here's another way you can think about the path that I also like very much. This is from my, my uh, teacher's teacher, Ajahn Chah. Ajahn Chah was a, a monk in um, Thailand in the last century and quite, uh, quite a beautiful being, Ajahn Chah. He, was, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't um, limited by Buddhism, which I really appreciate, meaning he wasn't lim limited about, oh, this is the right way, or this is the wrong, or this is the real Buddhist way, or this is not. No, he discovered the Buddhist way. Here, you'll hear what he says. He says, traditionally, the Eightfold Path is taught with eight steps, such as right understanding, right speech, right concentration, and so forth. But the true Eightfold Path is within us. The true Eightfold Path is within us. Two eyes, two ears, two nostrils, a tongue, and a body. These eight doors are our entire path. And the mind, heart, is the one that walks on the path. Know the doors, examine them, and let all the dharmas will be revealed. And, and, the and all the dharmas will be revealed. The heart of the path is so simple. Give up clinging to love and hate. The heart of the path is so simple. Give up clinging to love and to hate. Just rest with things as they are. That is all I do in my practice. Just rest with things as they are. Do not try to become anything. Do not make yourself into anything. Do not be a meditator. Do not become enlightened. When you sit, 
just sit. When you walk, just walk. Grasp at nothing, resist nothing. Right? So he's somebody who woke up, and he woke up to just being exactly where he was, and the tremendous freedom that is possible when our hearts and minds are uncomplicated by some idea of what we're supposed to be, or who we're supposed to be, or how we're supposed to be even. But just to start to see what's actually here. And Ajahn Chah, yeah, he was an interesting guy. I remember when Jack Cornfield started teaching in the West, and, he, and then he saw, he went back to Thailand and saw Ajahn Chah. And, uh, and Ajahn Chah listened to him and Jack talking about teaching. And, and uh, you know, and Ajahn Chah thought, oh, great, great. He said, but remember, you know, if you have to call it Christianity, call it Christianity. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't matter. Buddhism, Christianity. You know, you want to just teach what helps people, what works for people, what frees people. And you don't care what it's called. And that, that's a certain level of freedom that I really appreciate about Ajahn Chah. <laughs> and also, I love what he says here about the path is so simple, right? He says, right, there are the, the different doors. The, the true Eightfold Path is within us. Two eyes, two ears, two nose, two nostrils, a tongue, and a body, right? And the heart and mind walks this path. It's all, it's all sitting right here. The, the magic of reality is sitting right here. The mystery of reality, the beauty of reality is sitting right here. You know, what we all intuit or know is possible is already here. <clears throat> so the Christian monastic, Thomas Merton, was he a monastic? Does anybody know? Yeah. yeah, I thought so. Yeah, Thomas Merton, he said, the spiritual path is not a long path in which one foot after another, you take one foot and after another, and eventually you get there. The spiritual path consists in opening your eyes and seeing that you are already there. Right? So you hear the paradox that comes from people who know something about the path, who's lived a life, who have lived a life of path, like I just uh, and Thomas Merton, who says it's not one foot after another, you know, and you eventually get there. The spiritual path consists in opening your eyes and seeing that you are already there. That that's what the human life is, is a spiritual path, right? That's what we're doing here. No matter what you're doing, whatever the particulars of what you're doing, your work or your, or your family or your love life or your whatever it is, it's already spiritual to be alive and to have consciousness and to have some intuition that there is more potential for us than we might know. And to start to listen to that call that comes, that, that's why you're here. I mean, I didn't call you all up and say, hey, come tonight, I'm giving a great talk or something. You know, it's part of the sangha of us being together to discover reality together as human beings. And the call comes from inside of us. We all already know there's more possible. And again, from one of my teachers, Hamid Ali, he said, the desire for freedom, the desire for liberation, enlightenment, self-realization, inner development, or whatever it is called, is not a response to a call from outside of you. Right? It's not Buddhism's not calling you up. There's something inside of you calling, Hamid is saying. He says, the search is an intimately personal interest in your situation. It shows itself as a questioning of the disharmony, the dukkha, I would say, one lives in. The stirring must come from in you, from your depths. 
you can use a system like Buddhism, for example, that's my add-on. You can use a system to help, help you, but ultimately it is your life, your quest. The path is you, your mind and your heart. The quest does not bring about improvement or perfection. It brings about mature, a maturity, a humanity, and a wisdom. And it's something that's possible for all of us. <clears throat> and it's, it's paradoxical because I believe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, we all come to practice whatever practice, in this case Buddhism, wanting to be free or happy or get something good should happen, you know, something really right should happen. And, and so, and that's great, that's great, and good things do happen. But there are also phases where not good things happen, and that's also part of the path. And that's an important part of the paradox of the path. Good thing, lots of good things happen, and then not good things happen. Meaning there's certain parts of our experience that we need to metabolize, and they're not, they don't taste like, you know, the best dark chocolate you've ever had, right? I won't even say what just went into my mind that it might taste like that is similar to dark chocolate. <laughs> but it's just part of the deal of what we're digesting as human beings that leads to freedom and awakening. And this is here from, um, from Pema Chodron. She said, when we study Buddhism, we learn about the view and the meditation as supports for encouraging us to let go of the ego and just be with things as they are. These supports are often likened to a raft, and that's a very traditional metaphor she's referring to. You need a raft to cross the river to get to the other side, and when you get over there, and it's said in Buddhism and the traditional teachings, when you get to the other side of the shore, you let go of the raft. You don't need the raft anymore. Now you're on real land, right? And you leave the raft behind, she says. And then Pema Chodron continues, she said, that's an interesting image, but in experience, it's more like the raft, the raft gives out on you in the middle of the river, and you never really get to solid ground. <laughs> So I, I don't mean to make it too difficult, but it's, it's part of the deal. You, we start to let go of all our ideas or preconceptions or beliefs, and we find a freedom that is not based on our ideas or our history or our memories or what somebody told us, even some Buddhists told us, we start to see, oh, what's the real thing? Because the real thing is, is already here. That's where it's to be discovered. So I think that's enough for me tonight. Now we have a little time for uh, any comments, questions, make sense what I'm saying, pointing at, helpful, not helpful, in, enlightening, unenlightening, please. You, well, you have to come up to the mic and speak into the mic. I could so, speak like this. You could, but it's you can speak into the simple. mic because it'll be, it'll be, you won't have to yell, it'll work better. Please, right. thank you. Sure. If somebody could turn the mic around. For, Okay, great. Thank you. And you can speak quietly even. All right. Yeah. <laughs> now. Yes. And my name is Tom. Hi, Tom. It's a privilege to be here. Great. You've done so much for all of us, leading meditation in California. Okay. We are grateful to you. You've helped in England. You are a, a, a father to all of us. I want to say that. Thank you. All I have to say is it's a gift to be simple. Uh -huh. It's a gift to be free. It's a gift to come down where we ought to be. Uh -huh. And when we're humble, when we find our place, that is right. In the light. We will find it. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. I'm glad you're enjoying being humble and free. <laughs> yeah.
Anything else? Okay, great, thank you. Yeah, and, it, and remember, we're still practicing now, all of us, right? We're all being aware. And so you be aware of what happens in your hearts and minds when it's very silent. And you're thinking, oh, maybe I'm gonna get up and talk, or no, I don't wanna get up and talk, or whatever it is. Because you don't have to be bound to your thoughts. Please, your name? So I'm Ted. Hey, Ted. And, uh, thank you. Okay. He said, uh, we're talking about how the context of all this, right? You know, we have a conception of what we should be and what other people should be. Yes. The difficulty I struggle with is that, well, there's this path, you know, right action, right this, right that. Uh -huh. um, that which puts us into alignment. And it's, I, it's I missed. That, that which puts us into alignment with uh, bigger truth. Yeah. Right? So where I struggle is when other people don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and, uh, that's great. It's like I get a free pass to be judgmental about because it's like, well, I am, you know, trying to strive like this. Right. They're just not making the effort. Right. Okay. So you want? You and want, so, so I think you're right. I no. Yeah. As long as I'm right. So, but, you know, like, so, 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 what's your question? Well, I guess so. How? How does one deal with that, like, right, that, that uh -huh. notion? Because it's, it's very easy to turn this into, especially when you use the word right. I think that's why why yeah, yeah, yeah. Favorite, yeah. Uh, popular because it's like, well, this is the right way to do it. And yeah. then it becomes an ideology. It right. becomes a concept in my mind. Yeah, yeah. It becomes an area where I can disagree with someone else. Right. You know, so how does one practice this and all that? And, and, sure. You know, live this life of awakening without turning it into a concept that can then be used to say, okay, agree, disagree, right action, you know. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, it's great you're asking the question. Why are you asking the question? Um, because it's something that disrupts my own practice. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, so already you're seeing the dukkha that comes by making spirituality or how you do spirituality something better than somebody else. You're seeing the dukkha, because the dukkha is really important, because we, most of us, I don't know about all, but most of us, we, we're always, compa the comparing mind is just a lot of dukkha. And, and it's different than being able to discern, oh, you know, this person is good at this and not so good at this, but it's the, the judgmental mind, really, in addition to the comparing, is just dukkha. And it's dukkha because there's something in here, when I'm judging, there's something in here that's uncomfortable, afraid, angry, and I'm not paying attention to those feelings. I'm acting on them as if they're real. I'm identified with them. And part of what happens with awareness practice is you start to unplug the identification with things. And, and it's tricky, and meaning or paradoxical, because you mechanically don't want to unplug. You want to feel those feelings of anger or fear or judgment and then see, begin to understand them because the understanding allows it to let go on its own. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Okay, and so yeah, you wanna pay attention to the, when you have judgments of other people, it's just your heart and mind having judgments. It's not true, even though you're believing it's true. Because who the hell knows who anybody else is, really. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, thank you. 
Sure, okay. Thank you. No, I, I appreciate your question because also it's very normal what you're describing, right? We all do it. We all don't generally pay attention to the fact that we're doing it. We believe it. Hmm. Come on, Lloyd. Oh, Larry, you do. Well, I was going to ask what I was going to ask. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, then I'll just go sit down. Um, so. Well, I already, I already answered it. You yeah. know. Go ahead. Um, you know, so in, in terms of what you were just talking about, I, I mean, like right now, um, I've become pretty involved with the election for president of the United States. And so I have a lot of judgment about the other, uh, the candidate that I'm not supporting. And, and it sure seems real because it, it seems like he's actually saying these things that uh, for me are very odious. And, and, that, and, and that seems real. Ooh, it is real. On a certain meaning, I don't know about real. I don't know if it's odious or not. I'm not paying so much attention. Uh -huh. but, but what I'm saying is, each candidate is saying what they're going to say, and you're going to have your feelings or opinions about it. And you can have your feelings and opinions about it, but it doesn't mean you're going to go shoot one of the candidates because you don't like what they're saying. No. It means you're going to do something politically so that you can let your political view become more um, actualized. But it's sort of like if somebody would say to me, well, why, you know, why do you have such strong feelings against Donald Trump? And I'd say, well, because this guy, to me, um, what, because he's a hateful person who spews a lot of things that um, are contrary to my beliefs. Well, is that something that, that's a construct of my mind? Or is that, I mean, it seems like I'm hearing him say those things, and so I can say that he's a hateful person. He, he might be, but you know, and you can do whatever you want, but there's also a part of you that could also be free of anything about Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton or any candidate at the same time. And this is why I keep talking about the paradox of the Dharma, because we can have our opinion, we can make our discernment about what's true or what's right or what's wrong, but we also can see that it's all just happening magically. And even Donald Trump is happening magically. Bad magic. Well, okay. you know, some, I don't have, I would, of course, I'm not in a role to say anything like that because I don't know him. And, you know, some people here, I would assume, are Donald Trump supporters, right? And so some people are not Hillary Clinton supporters. And that's part of the reality we're, li we're dealing with together. And that is me, uh, from a Dharma perspective, I'm more interested in that. And later I'll tell you who I'm going to vote for. Uh, <laughs> Thank you very much. Sure. Do you, I, I think you sort of hit the spots. Okay. Okay. Please, Mahin. Hi, I'm Mahin. Can you talk more about ethics? Because, sure. Okay, one thing I might think is ethical, you might not think it's ethical. Right. Or talk about it, you can't think. So, uh -huh. ethics are kind of uh, fluid. Yeah, yeah, uh, ethics so can be fluid because there's different ethical values in different times and places and that in different cultures. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, but we're looking at some basic ethical guidelines in Buddhism, you know, um, you know, like not killing, not stealing, not hurting other people, just just that. I mean, there was one quote I was looking at, I almost brought it, let's see if I can remember. Uh, it's a Buddhist quote, it's something like, do all good, uh, let go of all evil, evil and then how does it go? Do all good, let go of all, you know, awaken, period. And very simple. It's, so it's, you know, ethics are, 
are grounded in non-harming, right? And so look carefully at what one does. If you would do it with, to somebody else, would you have somebody else do it to you? But you have sometimes you have intention of do, not doing harm. Right. You do harm. That, that happens, that's true. But then you have to look at your intention, right? Well, you want, absolutely you want to look at your intention, but also you want to be real. We're human beings. I don't think anybody here is totally awakened yet. We're all going to make mistakes. And, and being aware of the mistakes means we can start to metabolize the mistake. We can learn from the mistake. Because if we're not aware of it, then we keep, then we keep doing it, because of course we're right. Right? And you know, that's, that can be a big problem for us as human beings. Yeah, thank you. No, it's really an interesting word, even sila, ethics, or, or morality, or virtue. Somehow I really like the word virtue because um, it's the same root as virility, and it's pointing at a certain power. And that part does not get emphasized enough in my heart and mind about the power of living in harmony with the way things are, with reality, with other beings, with the world. You know, and we've seen, I mean, this is really a, a very modern kind of dukkha. We've seen what happens when human beings don't live in harmony with the earth. I mean, we're, we're killing the earth and that's that's part of the lack of virtue because we're not really seeing the way things are and responding and treating things as they need to be treated when you're really in touch with the truth of the way things are. I'm just, my mind is going to Wendell Berry who's uh, at, the, at the wedding I read a a poem. Uh, 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 he, he writes beautifully about, he's a poet and a writer, and he's also an environmental activist, which I didn't know until I, I looked him up just to have some background about him. And, uh, and he wrote so beautifully about marriage as a path, and, and that what it means to get married is to give yourself to the unknown. And that's a beautiful understanding of what, what it means to give yourself to a path. We're all giving ourselves to the unknown, and the unknown is sitting right here. So. Oh, please, sorry, hi. Mother Teresa. Yeah. yeah. People are often unreasonable and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you uh, of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good. Give the world the best you have, and it may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Could, why don't you read it again? Beautiful quote, beautiful quote. Read it, and just, yeah, no, you're doing fine. Just read it slowly, and again, so we all hear it well. Great, thank you. Okay. People are often unreasonable, unreasonable, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are honest, people may cheat you. Be honest anyway. If you find happiness, people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow. Do good. Give the world the best you have. It may never be enough. Give your best anyway. For you see, in the end, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them anyway. Great. Thank you. Yeah, beautiful. 
I think that's a good quote to end on tonight. You know, yeah. So let's just sit for a minute before we end. Taking a moment to reflect upon the goodness of our having the time, place, opportunity, teachings to discover the Dharma, the truth, reality, ourselves, God, the goodness that's here and the blessings of having this time together. May the goodness, blessings, good fortune that we experience be shared with others. May it go out in every direction, touching beings in every world, in every realm. May all beings be happy and peaceful May all beings, no matter what their political bent is, be free from suffering. May all beings awaken. May we awaken together. May we discover the truth of who and what we are. May all beings be free.